Well, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, and uh, I've expanded the reading a little bit to start at uh, verse 1 of Luke 18, and we're going to read on down through verse 17. Luke 18, 1 through 17, we have three different sections, two parables, and then uh, an episode in the life of Jesus. And there's a thread running through all of these that I want to highlight this morning. So that's why I'm preaching on really three different sections of Scripture. That uh, might be a, this is kind of a broad shot, and, but, I, but I think you will see the, the important point that's being made here by Luke and by the Lord. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And he told them a parable to the elect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, as I mentioned before, uh, the question we want to think about today is how do we approach God? What is the proper way that we can approach God? Now, we live in a very casual uh, society or casual culture down here on the Gulf Coast. You know, with all the, the, with the beach and all the tourist attractions we have around us, it's easy to feel like we live on vacation. Um, we can uh, enjoy ourselves just by walking out the front door of the church and see the beautiful uh, beach and, and uh, 
see the sun shining right now. I think that's the sun. It's been so long since we've actually seen it. Uh, but uh, we can, uh, you know, enjoy those things very easily here. And, uh, you know, even I, I'm wearing a suit, but not many people here are wearing a suit today. So that's not, I'm not complaining about that at all. Uh, we come as we are uh, to the Lord. But, but, you know, we are kind of casual and so approaching uh, God. Uh, we, can, we tend to, especially in our culture, not just here on the coast, but in America, Western world, we want to approach casually and not seriously. Well, that's the opposite of what we're being called to here in these three episodes or these two parables in this episode in Jesus' life. How do we approach God? Well, humbly, humbly, obviously, uh, and, and recognizing that we need mercy. And that's really the point of what I want to say. So if I start coughing and, uh, and I have to quit, then if you got that, <laughs> you got it. Uh, that's what we need to do to remember who we are before the Lord, you know, who he is and who we are, the distance between us that thankfully is in Christ has been bridged. But there is a distance there because of our sinfulness. And I want us to be impressed by that today. And, and because we are sinners, we are in need. We are needy, needy people. And I want to stress that as well. Well, let's look at, quickly at this first parable. It's an interesting parable that Jesus tells. He's telling us to, to pray and never give up, to, to not lose heart in our prayers. And, you know, that's easy to do. If you, you know, some of you sitting here have shared with me how you've prayed for years for, for individuals in your families, for example. That's a prominent one for many people. But seemingly God has not heard those prayers or he hasn't answered them the way that you would like for them to be answered. Well, that's what this parable is telling us in, in one sense, that don't give up, keep praying. Um, God hears those prayers. He hasn't quit. Uh, he hasn't quit on you or quit on that loved one. But he says here uh, in this story, you have this wicked judge. He's, the judge is a jerk. He's not a, he's not a great judge at all. Uh, this poor widow, uh, and you have to understand widows, and that's who we're supposed to identify with here, the widow in the story. Uh, widows in that day didn't have Social Security. You know, they were completely dependent upon the goodness of others, the mercy of others for their provision. They didn't get checks monthly uh, because of their past work or anything like that. They needed, they needed people close to them to take care of them. And they had to eke out their living in those days. So it was very difficult to be a widow in those times. Widows are often mentioned with orphans and strangers or aliens, you know, those immigrants that uh, are displaced. They're the, the people who are most vulnerable in society. And the widow is one of those. And she keeps, she's got a problem. She's faced some injustice in her life, and she keeps coming to this wicked judge who, who could care less about her, and she keeps asking for justice. Please do something. Please do something. Please do something. And the judge finally relents, and he does something, not because he cared about her, but just because he was bothered by her. He was impatient, and he just couldn't stand having her bother him anymore, so... He grants her justice. He takes up her case. Well, this is one of those parables that's a how much more parable. 
you know, we're not supposed to think of God like this unjust judge because God's not an unjust judge. If the unjust judge acts this way, well, how much more will God, who is the ultimate just judge, how much more will he take up the case for his people who are facing injustice? How much more? Do you want to quit or, or lose hope in your prayer request to the Lord? Well, don't. He's, he's on the, he knows. He knows. And he's going to bring justice. He's going to bring about what is right. He, he is on the case. But we need to recognize when we come to the Lord, like this widow, we're so needy. And yes, the Lord may delay in responding to us, in answering our prayer, but he's got a good purpose for that. And sometimes it's to cause us to trust him more, to persist in our faith when things are difficult, to help us grow in our faith. Um, there may be all kinds of reasons, but if you're going to go to the Lord and recognize that he's powerful and wise, you're going to go ask him to help you in that situation, and, and you're putting your situation in his hands, you have to recognize as well that just by virtue of you asking this God who is wise and powerful to do something, when he doesn't do what you want, you have to say, okay, well, he is powerful and he is wise. So perhaps, and you know he can fix anything, you know he can do anything, so perhaps in his wisdom he's delaying for a good reason. Perhaps in his greater wisdom than mine, he knows what he's doing for, for the situation that will be better than what I ever could have imagined. That really is the point there. He's a just judge. He's, he knows what's going on in your life. So don't give up. Keep asking and keep trusting him and keep coming to him with your needs and, and relying completely and solely upon his power and his wisdom. So that's the first way we approach the Lord. That's the first example we have before us of approaching the Lord. See, she's needy. She, she's coming to God and asking for mercy, asking for help in her time of need. Well, the second uh, parable we have here is of this Pharisee and tax collector. Now, the tax collector and the Pharisee were both in the temple praying, and uh, they're both standing there, maybe at a time when it wasn't uh, formal uh, sacrifice in the temple, but uh, the Pharisees standing there praying, and he's probably more in a central place in the temple. If you know anything about the temple there in Jerusalem, there were courts where certain people couldn't come in. You know, you couldn't go to the center of the Holy of Holies. Only the priest went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then there are outer courts, and the furthest out is the court of the Gentiles. So this tax collector is standing afar off, so he's way on the outskirts. He's afraid to approach God because he recognizes that he's a sinner. In fact, the word he uses here when he cries out to the Lord is, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He puts a, there's, a, there's a, um, uh, an article in front of that, a specific article, the, or this sinner. God be merciful to me, this sinner. 
So his prayer is much like the widow's prayer, recognizing that he is utterly needy and, and leaning completely upon the mercy of God. He has no other recourse. And he was a sinner. Tax collectors were sinful people in those days. If you work for the IRS, I'm not making a comparison here. So uh, this was totally different in those days because Israel was living under uh, an unwelcome regime. The Romans were in power. And tax collectors, they were often Jewish members of the, you know, members of the nation of Israel. They were Jews, but they were seen as traitors to their country because they worked for the occupying forces. They were helping fund the government that was oppressing the, 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 the nation of Israel. And on top of that, with the authority of Rome at their disposal, they often overcharged people, took more than their fair share and kept it for themselves and got rich off the, off the taxes that they collected. They gave Rome their share and kept a little back for themselves. So this man was uh, the sinner. He was very much a, a sinful person. He, he would not be popular today because he he's one of the oppressors of people. He's one of the ones bringing out injustice into the world. But he recognizes this. Something has caused him to recognize that he needed God's mercy, that he was a sinner. The Pharisee, on the other hand, is there in the temple standing and he says a true prayer in one sense. He says in his prayer, and actually you can, it's interesting to see the different translations of these words because uh, in verse 11 where it says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. You could also interpret that and translate that, I should say. The Pharisee standing prayed to himself, prayed to himself, because the preposition there is actually to would be a more accurate translation instead of by. You can take it either way. He was certainly standing on his own somewhere in the temple, but his prayer, so self-centered, was more directed to himself than it was actually to God, wasn't it? Because what does he do? He just talks about himself. God, he says, I thank you, and it is all about him. I, that I am not like other men, extortioners. Perhaps he's looking over here, and he sees an extortioner in that tax collector, because that's exactly what the tax collector would be doing, extorting money from people. Extortioners, adulterer of the unjust, the tax collector, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, nothing, you know, we think about this prayer, and of course Jesus is condemning this prayer. We think about this prayer and we think, oh, that's a wrong prayer. But you know what, actually, it was true. He wasn't like those other people. He wasn't an extortioner. He wasn't unjust, he wasn't an adulterer, and he certainly wasn't a tax collector. And he did fast twice a week, which was more than the law actually called for Jews to do. 
And he tithed on everything that he got. And that wasn't a requirement. He was required to tithe on certain types of income, but not on everything he got. Jesus condemned the Pharisees or, or pointed out that the Pharisees, you know, they, they would uh, tithe herbs from their garden. Can you imagine that? You've got a little window box and you're growing some basil and some thyme and rosemary and you're very careful to clip it off and take 10% of it and give it to the Lord. Pharisees would do that sort of thing. They were very serious about being circumstanced and following God's law. So the prayer that the man raises up is not untrue. He's not lying about himself. See, the, the question is not, is he far enough down the road? Now, he's on the wrong road. He's way down the road, but he's on the wrong road altogether. He is traveling down the road of self-righteousness, and he is way down the road of self-righteousness, but it's the wrong road. It leads to hell. And that's the point of this parable. You, know, you, can, you can actually reject God by being religious. And that's what he's doing here. And that's why I like the fact that you can translate this, he prayed to himself. Because he was certainly resting upon his own goodness to justify himself. And was he not justifying himself before God and to himself? You know, sometimes people will say, I'm a good person. I've had people tell me, you know, I'm, I am a good person. I'm a good person. Who are you trying to convince? You know, yeah, you're trying to convince me if you're telling me that or someone else. But we're also, when we say that, we tend to want to think that we're good ourselves and justify ourselves. And we can't approach God justifying ourselves. Because we're not just. We're not good. No one is good, Paul says in Romans. And actually he's quoting the Old Testament when he says that. No one is good. No, not one. We're all sinners. And what did Jesus say? Who's good? No one is good but God. You know, they, they're, he's talking with his opponents and someone says, good sir, good master. And he goes, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. Well, the implication, of course, is, are you calling me God? Because that would be right, because I am God. But no one is good but God. We're not good. Now, relative to other human beings, this Pharisee, he was righteous. Relative to other People that we know, yeah, most of you are pretty good. I know you. I'd, I'd say you're a pretty good person, pretty good people out there. But relative to God, we're not good. We're not good. See, the Pharisee needed to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul. He needed to take the stance of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, like this Pharisee, you know, he was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. And he was, he was a better Pharisee than this guy was. If you read in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. Let me, let me uh, trim it down here for you. 
I myself, he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Like that Pharisee was putting confidence in his own flesh, in his own works, in his own doings. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else, anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You think you're good? I'm better than you. That's what he's saying. Or I was better than you. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul was as good as a person as you could be. And that's, he describes himself, circumcised on the eighth day, just right according to the law, from infancy, Paul says, from the very get-go, eighth day, I was following God's law. He was an Israelite, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is a, a Hebraism. It's a, it's a way that they spoke. For example, uh, the book Song of Solomon, the, the title of it is actually Song of Songs, which means it's the best song. It's the greatest song. When he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I, I'm the best Hebrew there is. When we say Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we're saying he is the ultimate King and the ultimate Lord. That's what Paul's saying. I'm the best Jew there is. It's the law of Pharisee, it's to a zeal, a persecutor of the church. You know, nobody topped him in zeal. He didn't understand that the church was a thing of God at the time. He had to be convinced of that on the road to Damascus. But he had zeal for God's law, and he thought these people were breaking it. And he, and he went so far as to put people to death with that zeal, that religious zeal. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, the NIV, I think, makes a mistake in its translation here. It says, as to legalistic righteousness, blameless, which twists it around a little bit, I think. It's not out of order, but it's saying that he's self-righteous, which he was. But Paul could look at the law and look at himself and say, you know, I'm doing better than everybody else. And he threw it all away because he recognized something about himself, that he is not good. He is, compared to, to the other human beings out there in his line of vision, he was good. But when it came to his comparison from, of himself to God, he was not good. He did not match up. He needed a righteousness outside of his own righteousness. And he found that through faith in Christ. You know, the fact of the matter is, and I'll say this starkly because it's something we need to hear, 
if God were to throw us into hell, into eternal punishment, the universe would stand up and applaud because we deserve that. That is what we deserve. We are sinful. The universe would cry out, at last, justice is done. It is ultimately fair for me to go to hell. They would dance, the universe would dance in the street because finally a wrong, allowing me to go on living, allowing you to go on living, that wrong has been righted. You've been sent to eternal damnation. But we say, you know what, I don't deserve to go to hell. How dare you say that? I'm a good person. There you go. That's what the Pharisee is saying. I'm a good person. Look at me. I'm great. I do all this. And the Pharisee was much better than we are. Does anybody here fast twice a week? I surely don't. Do we tithe everything that we have? No, we don't. See, what we deserve, all of us, everyone here, every human being that's ever lived except Jesus, deserves eternal punishment and death because we're sinners. We do not deserve to be justified. We will never, ever deserve to be justified. It is strictly an act of God's mercy on me and you. It is totally and completely us depending upon him being merciful to us. You don't earn it or deserve it. The only thing you deserve, as I said, is hell. And the only prayer we can ever pray for ourselves is actually this prayer of the Pharisee. We're always praying that prayer if we're right. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, just think about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, saying, you know, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're addressing God, who is holy, not just holy, but holy, 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 which is one more than Song of Songs or Hebrew of Hebrews. He's the holiest of the holy, and then he's holy some more. That's how holy he is. He's absolutely pure, and because he is holy and right, every single sin must rightfully be punished. So you see, he's obligated to punish our sins. So he's holy, the Holy Father. So we're, we're asking in the Lord's Prayer, be merciful to us by having your kingdom come. Be merciful to us by having your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be merciful to us by giving us this day our daily bread. Be merciful to us by forgiving us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and be merciful to us by leading us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're completely dependent upon God's mercy. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Completely and totally dependent upon and throwing ourselves upon God's mercy. Not coming with this attitude that, you know, God, I'm a pretty good person. I'm, you know, I deserve it. You owe me, God. God doesn't owe us anything. Not one thing. So that's how we are to approach God, with this sense of humility. And that brings us to the final section here, just briefly. 
um, <clears throat> Jesus uh, was there, and they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them, bless them. That's what they were looking for, that this one, the master would bless these little children. And so the disciples, I don't know, maybe they thought children weren't important. We, we think children are much more important than they did in those days. They would throw children away if they didn't want them. They would throw them in the garbage, literally. Um, so children didn't have the same kind of uh, status in society that they do today, unless you're unborn. Then it's about the same. So these, the, the disciples were like, you know, don't bother Jesus with these little children, but Jesus uses this as, an exa- as another teaching moment. You know, let them come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And that's what we've been seeing all along in these, th- these three sections all hang together on that one thread. We have to come humbly like a child. What can a baby do for itself? When a baby comes into this world, it is completely at the mercy of the parent or the caregiver. Baby can't feed itself. Baby can't change its diaper. Baby can't, you know, feed itself. Baby left on its own would die quickly. It's utterly dependent. And Jesus says that's the posture we have to have as we approach. And if we don't come like that, we have no part in the kingdom of God. You know, if we... It's kind of funny if you think about it. If we're coming before the Lord like the, like the Pharisee and saying, hey, God, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm so great. And, uh, you know, just reaffirming that we're all good because I'm so great. Well, it's kind of like a baby doing that, right? Baby going, I, you know, I got this. <laughs> I got this. I'm, I'm good. I don't need you to do anything for me because I got it all. Well, that would be foolish of a, of a baby. <laughs> Not that a baby would ever do that. That's ridiculous. But you see the point. When we do that, we're just, it's childish to think that way, in a sense. It's silly, it's stupid. You're a sinner. You need God's mercy. You're not good, even though you might be better than the guy sitting next to you or the girl sitting next to you. You're not good. You need God's mercy. And I would encourage you all to cry out to God for mercy. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be a human being. I mean, he wasn't a sinner, but he's walked among us and he knows what it's like. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the message for us today. Come before the throne of grace confident because Jesus knows what you're going through. Don't give up doing it. Seek the Lord. Seek his mercy. Throw yourself upon completely on his mercy. And you will be washed whiter than snow and cleansed, as we sang a little earlier. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that humbles us. Lord, we like to think that we're pretty good and uh, that all of our religious activity is actually, you know, what uh, sets us apart and makes us valuable in your eyes. But Lord, we know that from what you're telling us here that that's not true. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live dependent upon your mercy. Because if we don't, Lord, we know that we will die. So, Lord, we pray that everyone here would call upon you in their time of need. Help us to see our sinfulness and grant us repentance from our sins. Set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.